If you think you're hiding your cannabis use from your children, you're not. They know. And my son, he turned 18. It was his 18th birthday. And he came up to me and he said, Mom, I know you smoke weed. I'm 18. I've got some pot. Can we smoke some weed together? And I was like, yes. Yes, we can. Yay. So that was a great moment. You are now tuned in to the On The Rebel podcast. We're talking cannabis, business, and culture. Breaking down the legal cannabis industry for the people. My people, my people, people. Hosted by Jacoby Holland. Real, Real talk, talk, dope, dope people. people. You know the vibes. 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 Really honored to have Susan on here today. Funny thing about Susan, I had actually been in her clubhouse room like many times but only really associated her with the state of cannabis. It was just like the voice of this brand. And then um, Lulu actually brought up her book when we were talking about some really interesting marijuana mamas. And it didn't even click to me till like a couple days before. And I like connected the two and I was like, oh, wow, this woman does a lot of things. So I'm really excited about it. We've had some marijuana mamas, but now we finally have a marijuana grandma. And I'm really excited to have her on the show. Susan, thank you for joining us. Love the background. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a bud, a flower, a plant that I grew, which I consumed rapidly. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Also a grower. Cool. In your backyard? In my backyard. And I actually uh, came out of the green closet last 420, not this year, but last year on nextdoor.com. And so now I have a bunch of my neighbors growing in their backyards as well. Wow. Next door is a crazy place to come out of the green closet. Like there's a lot of drama in the next door app, I have to say. I was advised by my my friends and families and attorney friends that that was a terrible idea. But I normally have an event at Coachella during 420 and I was pretty depressed. And I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I put a post on uh, next door, free pot brownies, anyone? And that thread blew up. (laughs) (laughs) Next door. I feel like it's um, Facebook 10 years ago. Like everybody is so active out there. I believe it. All right, cool. So came out of the green closet to the neighbors a year ago. I think you have kind of interesting journey through your beginning stages of cannabis, right? Starting as like a a Mormon church leader and going through some things that really kind of like brought you into the cannabis world. Can you just give us the overview of like how you found the plant and kind of like the beginning stages of your journey? Sure. Thank you for asking. I was very strict Mormon and raised in a, a military family. And I uh, was 31. And I remember calling the cops on these teenage kids because they were smoking out of a pipe. And I called the cops and I was like, hey, these teenagers are smoking drugs. You need to come and arrest them. And the cops are like, well, is it pot or is it crack? And I said, it's drugs. So that's where my head was. Long story short, I sustained a head injury. I got a concussion while I was doing my job in the church, and I ended up with a migraine that lasted two years long. I was just desperate for help that Western medicine couldn't give me, and my neighbor was growing cannabis in her garden, and she suggested that I try it. I knew that I would lose my family and my entire community 
if I were to try it and continue to use it. And I didn't really have a choice. So I did. And six weeks later, I was migraine free and I haven't stopped consuming since. That was 30 years ago. Wow. I want to say that I'm not surprised that so many people are, are so strongly against it until they're desperate. And when that desperation hits, you're like, look, I'll try anything. I'm willing to like remove some of these barriers I had from society or personally or, or whatever those barriers were. Sometimes it's pets, right? Some people's pets is it that thing or it's a family member or like their own medical condition. It still amazes me how powerful that like point that that changing point is. So how did your family and your community accept that? How did that change your life? They didn't. My parents wouldn't talk to me for almost a decade and all of my friends turned their backs on me. Yeah, no, it was it was really hard. You mentioned people don't get it until something happens to, to them or someone close to them. It makes me really sad because when you know when I run into lawmakers that are so against it, I feel bad because I know that probably they're gonna have a loved one need it. And it's like, you know, come on, open your eyes now. You can help people now. Learn from others. Listen to us. We're not just saying this. It really legitimately saved my life. And what about the conversations you have with other people in your lives now? I know that 10 years to kind of be shunned over this plan is just, that's crazy. How do you approach these conversations with like the next people in your community? Like you had to regrow, regenerate your family and community. Like, did you come clean with new people? Like, how did you rebuild from that? I did. I really didn't. I threw myself into, you know, once I was uh, healthy, I just threw myself into raising my children and dedicated myself. I, I promised myself that once I raised my children, that I would dedicate my life to changing minds uh, that thought like me because I felt like I was in a unique position having gone from one extreme to finding the plant and having it save my life. I felt like I was in the best position to help change people's minds. Mm. And what about your kids? Did you tell them? When did you tell them? I didn't tell them. I didn't know. I mean, at the time, it was still very illegal. This was pre-Prop 215, the Compassionate Use Act in California. Uh, so I didn't tell them. I didn't know where to even get cannabis besides from my neighbor. But I got some seeds and I, I planted them. and. I hid the plants inside the bushes in the backyard. I used to go back every single day and cut the points off of the leaves so that they, nobody could tell what it was. And it was rough for a while. You know, there was no such thing as tinctures and edibles. And it was a different time. And then what about, like, how did you ultimately talk to your kids about it? I know, I know you kept it on the DL for a long time, but like, did they find out? This is kind of why I wrote the book, because it, it's like, you know, if, if you think you're hiding your cannabis use from your children, you're not. They know. And my son, he turned 18. It was his 18th birthday. And he came up to me and he said, Mom, I know you smoke weed. I'm 18. I've got some pot. Can we smoke some weed together? And I was like, yes, yes, we can. Yay. So that was a great moment. And yeah, we started, we started talking about it, but it was still, you know, it was a different, still was a different time. The stigma was strong and it wasn't really anything that you wanted your children to be able to share with their teachers and their 
friends. It was it was still a different time. I mean, it seems like that was an exciting moment for you, but I want to know like what emotions like smoking a J with your kid when they just turned 18 and they basically just said, Hey, I've known you've been doing this when you thought you kind of had a secret this whole time. Was that like a weight off your shoulders? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Cause now, now they're, you know, smoking weed. Like what were the emotions in that, that first J that's like every kid's dream, by the way. No, it was great. It was great. And uh, he had his best friend with him and I was the cool mom for quite some time. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, they, they trusted me and they, they were able to come to me with uh, some of their life problems and stuff because, because of it. So it, it was great. That's an interesting point. I get the cool mom part, but I didn't consider the fact that gesture actually opened up other conversations that probably had nothing to do with weed that now they trusted you. Yeah. I mean, cannabis is a really interesting plant. It really opens your mind and it uh, kind of opens you up for suggestion. Um, I feel like, you know, the, the munchies and the paranoia and stuff, I feel like people have been told that you're supposed to get the munchies and you're supposed to be paranoid and that, it's not really true. You can really work through that, but it is mind opening. And because of that, I was able to shed a lot of the things that I believed in uh, being raised for 33 years in the Mormon church. And I think it would have taken me five times longer to open my mind if it wasn't for cannabis. It almost like begs the question of like, what closed our minds in the first place? Yeah, we're told no, 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 all of our lives when we're kids, you know, don't do that. We were told that at school, we're told that at church, we're told that from our parents. Uh, don't draw out of the lines, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a fact. All right, cool. So I want to switch over now to your journey, kind of like as a can of grandma. We kind of talked about what it is like to be a can of mom and how that kind of like goes in your life cycle. But then your kids have kids. Right. And now you, you have at least 10, 15, 20 years of experience with the plant. You probably have a different perspective than when your kids were that same age. Talk to me about the relationship as a, a grandmother and a cannabis consumer. Yeah. So I ran it by them. I didn't do it without talking to them about it, but I wanted to be very open and upfront with my grandchildren being raised in a, in a strict household, I don't know if you have known any Mormons or ex-Mormons because they're so in such a strict environment when they have a chance to let their hair down, they're some of the wildest people ever they, because of the strictness, right? So it's like, this is just matter of fact. Grandma has cases of bombs. Grandma's got cases of jars of weed. Grandma has plants growing in her backyard and it just is what it is and, and we just talk to them uh matter of factly and it, it's no big thing and and that's the way it should be you know it's just grandma's medicine it's grandma's recreation it's no big thing yeah i do it in the chat but i actually <laughs> used to buy weed from the kid uh the mormon kid at our school <laughs> that's right yeah so how has that been received by your kids like they're the parents right like what was their opinion on this yeah well i mean i ran it by them and they agree that's the way that we should handle it they don't really consume in front of their kids i'm not even sure if their kids know that they consume but they certainly know that grandma does 
And in the book, the kicker in the book, towards the end, the second to the last page, the family is having a family barbecue and the grownups are drinking wine and the kids are playing hide and seek and grandma's way down, far away from the kids, but she's smoking a joint and it's going downwind. I don't say the words in the book, but so I leave it really, really subtle so that, you know, if the kid notices and wants to talk about it, or if the parent wants to talk about it, they can talk about it or they can just flip through and, and um, you know, but it's there. Grandma's smoking the joint. And how has the reception been? Have you heard from other parents or grandparents that have read the book? It's been great. I'm so glad that I, I wrote this book. I did not mean to write the book, but it's uh, really important. You know, like I said, if you, if you think that, if you're consuming cannabis, and you think your kids don't know, the only thing you're doing is you're teaching them that we keep secrets from each other. And that's not what you want. You know, you've got to talk to your kids about all the grown-up stuff. Yeah, especially with um, the states that have, you know, become legal. Um, I'm here in Oregon with, and I have a goddaughter who's almost 15. And she's just totally down with it. You know, like there's no hiding she sometimes uses it for uh, medication as her ADHD. Um, and she's so like sophisticated in her understanding as a teenager about, you know, how it affects her, why she takes it. And she's able to verbalize so many things that, you know, I, I'm in my 40s. So, you know, I still come from that generation where it's like, you're still hiding. And that's why when I saw your book, Susan, I was like, this is the perfect gift to give all of these new parents who have been recreational smokers and consumers and are now having the, I've seen these discussions happening between, you know, the parents about like, well, how are we going to handle this? So I think seeing your book, I think it's such a great resource. Thank you so much for writing that because there's not much information out there on how to have these conversations. You know, we had the D.A.R.E. pamphlets. And now we have the, I don't know, anti-dare or, or the dare to know, you know, resources that, that you're providing. So thank you so much, Susan. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's really, I, I don't know why we're, we're afraid to talk to our children. You know, kids are smart. They really are. And we need to talk to them about big ideas and big issues. We learn from our kids and we've just got to be honest. I'm uh, interested in learning more about your, your niece, uh, but in the book, I've had a few activists that are upset with me because I, in the book, I, the grandma talks to the grandson about his brain and how his brain is growing and how he needs to just feed his brain with good things like you know, so it can grow strong, like the things in the garden. Uh, and I realized that some children need cannabis, but in general, it's best that they wait and they need to know why. And I, I believe that talking to children about cannabis is the gateway to talking to children about all kinds of grown-up things. People are afraid to talk to their kids about sex. They're, you know, afraid to talk to their kids about pharmaceutical drugs. We need to talk to them about these things. They're smart. They, they'll understand and they'll do, they'll do better in life if we just talk to them and listen. Yeah, it's like that reverse psychology, right? It's like the more yes. you tell them so, the more they're going to want to do it. I mean, I was definitely yes. a kid, but I was lucky that when I was interested in trying cannabis, 
and also psychedelics, it was my family members that actually sat with me. So I think that was a really awesome experience to have an elder there with you when you're trying to do something a little bit different. So I'm huge advocate also of, you know, not giving kids enough credit and hiding things is, is never a good idea, no matter what age you are. Lulu, I also caught on to something you said that I think is, is really dope. Not only are they able to talk about it, but because of that, they're actually able to like explain why and when and how they actually use it. And I know plenty of people that are my friends that just get high as fuck. And they don't actually know that they're like running from something or trying to reduce stress or because they're in pain. And they're just, they're just not even that aware of it. It's the same thing with food. Think about how you feel after you eat that certain thing. It's like you can't not think about that again. And you can't go back sometimes. So I think just a, another cosign to that that I really love is the fact that if you talk to them early, they're actually better at using it than we are. And she's very intentional about it, right? She's right. Like, you know, I have, and I'm talking to like a 14-year-old and she's just like, some, you know, sometimes I have rage and instead of wanting to like feel upset about it as I'm decompressing, you know, I will have a little bit of, I'll smoke a little bit and it'll totally like help me calm down. And I was like, I wish adults would talk to each other like that, you know, and, and understand tools as you know, plant medicine is our tools that can help and understand why they, they use it. So I was like, this is kind of cool, you know, and I know her mom has always been very, a very transparent person. So I think like just seeing this as a, an experiment that happened with being a transparent parent is, has been really, really, really cool to, to see this little human like communicating and better than most adults that I know. That's amazing. It sounds like you've got a, a really great family. And Eugene's kind of interesting. It's it's kind of like this hippie utopia where all the things that are like the rage these days has always been kind of practiced here. And I took it for granted for a really long time, but I'm, you know, like I always say, I'm almost like the prodigal daughter returns <laughs> back to um, all the things. And it's been cool. You know, she's back in Oregon when she throws the flannel on. <laughs> I just bought some Birkenstocks too. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> All right. I actually want to ask a question uh, more on kind of like the business side of this. When we were in pre-production, you said that you think, I think this is actually a lie. You're not the greatest businesswoman, but you have some things that I think are actually like particularly interesting and well done on your side that I want to kind of get into. Most of the time we kind of go more business on this show. We've been talking about motherhood a lot. Specifically, I want to talk about the process of writing a book. Like that's a revenue stream that kind of keeps on giving. Can you talk to me about like, how did you actually write the book? You know what I mean? Did you sit down at your kitchen table and say, let me think of like how I would talk to a five-year-old and like talking about like literally writing it. Well, you know, the book pretty much wrote itself uh, because it's, it's a true story about myself and my grandson. So uh, that part was pretty easy the the thing that was uh, was difficult was doing the research, and it was shocking to me. Even like third generation growers in Northern California didn't talk to their kids about cannabis. And I spent a year 
talking to all these different parents about, you know, I'd ask them, how do you talk to your kids about cannabis? And 90% of the parents said, oh, I don't. It's like, what? <laughs> I, I guess we need this book. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with a, a woman who got together with a group of her friends every Saturday and they get drunk in front of their kids every Saturday. And, and they had a little toddler that started drinking at 18 months and at eight years old was a full-blown alcoholic. And I said, wouldn't that be so different if you guys were consuming cannabis instead? So, you know, the research was really, really difficult, but inspiring that I needed to do it. And uh, I did a lot of research on what it meant to be a self-published first-time author so that I had realistic expectations. It is not a moneymaker. First-time authors rarely make any money. Uh, you're lucky if you sell 200 books over the lifetime of the book. So I went into it uh, knowing that. One of the interesting things in, in uh, doing this was I found out that not only is it hard to be a first-time author, but if you're going to write a book about cannabis and children, watch out. Nobody wants you to do that. Facebook said, no, you can't talk about that. Uh, GoFundMe, no. You know, Instagram, no. So it was interesting doing that part. I budgeted $10,000 to get the book published and I published through Book Baby uh, because it's a self-publishing service and they got me placed in Barnes and Noble and Amazon and Target and I spent most of the $10,000 on the illustrations because I think it's really important for a children's book. I wanted it to be something that people hung on to and shared with their kids and their grandkids and so I, I didn't realize this when I did it, but it was $7 in cost just for the dust jacket. The dust jacket cost $7. So the book, the book is $34.20 because of all of the color and the paper and everything. But it's doing well. I just, I just looked at my, my numbers and I've sold 800 books so far, which is, yay, better than most first-time authors. But if you, if you want to write a book, I mean, just go into, and I encourage, we need more books about cannabis. We need more children's books about cannabis. We need lots and lots of literature, but do your research, reach out to me. I'm happy to help anyone that is interested. I just put the link in the chat and um, your book is going to definitely be on the baby registry gift for everyone that I know. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yay, thank you. Yeah, shout out to you. You exceeded that 200 very well. It sounds overwhelming to me personally, but I might take you up on that offer. I've had this finance book for like fourth graders in my head for years that I've just been kind of like sitting on. Um, so I might take you up on that, just so you know. So I just learned this, uh, an interesting thing about books and art and cannabis. And I, I'm not aware... So uh, I only have a very surface understanding. But in the cannabis industry, it's really difficult to advertise. And we can talk about Clubhouse uh, later if you want. But, but, you know, all the socials and everything, it's very difficult to advertise. So apparently, if you have a work of art, like a book or a movie or what have you, an NFT, that can be written off. So there's a tricky way to get around the 280E. So talk to your lawyer if you have a cannabis business and maybe consider putting your 
your efforts into an F NFT or a book or a screenplay or something like that. It, it, it uh, makes a lot of sense to me for now. You know, who knows? Maybe we're going to get federal legalization next week. Let's cross our fingers. Yeah, we'll see about that last part. But I love that gem. I didn't realize that. That's a little pro tip, a little hack for the taxes. Let's get into Clubhouse. You started going there. You knew I wanted to go there. From what I know about you, not particularly influential in the traditional social medias. Just like probably most of us, pretty normal on social media. But you kind of hit your stride on Clubhouse. Talk to me about what happened. How did you kind of um, find your element here? I wear all the hats with my company. I have to do all of the things. And social media is a job. I mean, I, I got up to, I think, 25,000 followers on Clubhouse or uh, Instagram at one point. It was a job and it wasn't fun. I didn't like it. And Facebook isn't fun. And you run into all of these, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. I don't understand TikTok and I don't think I want to. <laughs> Twitter, well, I was at Google when they, when they uh, were talking about they were going to do Twitter. And I was like, that is the dumbest idea ever. What? 142 characters? Why? But uh, then I heard about Clubhouse and it was last, it was between uh, Christmas and New Year's Eve and, you know, a long year of lockdown. I had done 50 webinars and Zoom meetings. Uh, I had a green room. I had, you know, the State of Cannabis two-day conference. And I was shocked at how many people wouldn't turn on their cameras on Zoom. I thought, you know, we're so lonely and, and can't go anywhere. I thought everyone would want to have their cameras on, but they didn't. And then here comes this clubhouse and it's like talk radio. I was like, whoa, what is this? And I accidentally started a room my first day. I pushed this button. I was like, and this room opens up and, and all of a sudden I had 300 people in the room. And we started talking about cannabis and stuff. And it went on for five hours and it just blew me away. And then I was in this room and Damon John from Shark Tank came in. He was like, well, you know, it's between Christmas and New Year's and I'm just checking this thing out. I heard about it. I think it's kind of cool. We'll see where it goes. And then the next day, he had a room with all of his C-suite people in there. And he was like, okay, I get Clubhouse. I am all in with Clubhouse. This is the next best thing. And they had a room about public speaking. And he started drinking. And he got really drunk. And it went on for four hours instead of one. And I ended up connecting with the guy that books uh, the people for the Shark Tank. And he's going to do a panel at my next in-person event. And I just started meeting all of these people that I would never, ever, ever get a chance to even talk to. Dane Cook, you know, whoever. There's so many people that I connected with on Clubhouse that I would have never had connected with. So I did a lot of research. I spent 90 hours a week just researching what's hot on Clubhouse, what are the rules, what are the policies, and I found out that they're very cannabis friendly so and psychedelic friendly. So I just went all in. I ended up going into this room called News, 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 and the guy that started that room is uh, friends with the founder of Clubhouse, and I just watched his format 
And he called me up on his stage the first week of the show. I, you know, I was like, ah, I don't know what to do. But I, I just read off a headline and he started bringing me up every single day. And I became the cannabis correspondent for his show. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to do a spinoff of your show and do the cannabis news. And it's just really been so much fun. And it's, it's been really successful. It's a great vehicle for the cannabis industry if you uh, learn how to work it properly. But they, you know, they are very cannabis friendly. You can talk about cannabis. You can, I think you can even say, hey, we've got a store here and these are the prices and this is what you do with it. You can't do that on any other social media. So I strongly suggest that people get in as early as they can and just, uh, you know, work Clubhouse for all, all you've got. And hit me up, I'll help you. Happy to, you know, give you whatever tips I have. Uh, I'm curious, how much time do you put on Clubhouse a day now? And and like, how much is like prep your own room and then other rooms? Well, now now it's it's not nearly uh, as much as it was in the beginning. I was spending literally ninety hours a week for the first month because I wanted to learn how to be a, mo- a good moderator. And I wanted to see what was working. I've produced a lot of cannabis panels and finding a good moderator is really hard. I'm sure you, you all know hosts and moderators. It's really a difficult job. So I spent a lot of time learning how to be a good moderator because it's hard to find one. So I spent a lot more time in the past now I, I just spend time in that news, news, newsroom because I want to keep that up because the founder of Clubhouse is in there all the time. And I want to make sure that he knows who I am. I'm hoping that the, our room, the State of Cannabis News Hour gets picked up for the next pilot season because I, I think that we're doing a really great job. But I don't go into hardly any other rooms anymore because there's a lot of people that are just having these rooms that are pretty meaningless. They're just, you know, everybody's sitting around going, what are you smoking on? I don't know. What are you smoking on? It's like, come on, you guys. You know, if you want to use Clubhouse, you got to, you have to provide really provocative content. And ours is a fast paced show in one hour. And we're very strict about, you know, we, we end right on the hour. Uh, We don't want to waste anybody's time. We give the headlines, we give some quick analysis And we're a little more Howard Stern and not so much Martha Stewart. You know, uh, there is, I like to joke, there's swearing and nudity, which of course there isn't because there's no video. But, um, you know, we we have fun, but we deliver what you need to know in 60 minutes every weekday. As we mentioned at the top of the show, I jumped in today and I was highly impressed. It was the most efficient room I have ever been in. Actually, the week that you got in your clubhouse hole, I was also in my clubhouse hole. I think I was putting up like 40 hours and like just listening to it as I went to sleep. It was weird. But I got out of it for the exact same reason. I was, I was, I was a room jumper. I was in conversations about NFTs and then conversations about Ethereum and conversations about cannabis and then New York cannabis, California. And it all got a really a lot for me. And it was basically for those reasons that you mentioned. Um, so the fact that your show and there was a culture show that I would tap in on and that show was done really well and they had like Gary Vee and some of the Shark Tank people on there. So I need to go back and and explore some of these more 
produced uh, high level shows. Symbio Beta, uh, that, that one's a really good one. I actually joined that one every now and then. Yeah, kudos to you. I really do hope you, your pilot gets picked up. I especially love it because my problem with Clubhouse is just dealing with like off topic shit or like to your point, Susan, when people are like, well, what are you smoking on? I'm like, quite frankly, I don't care what you're smoking right now. I was here for the information. Whereas it definitely is valuable for other people just to like talk to people about what they're doing. My teammates know this. Lulu and Peter knows this. I'm like, hey, it's time to start. Let's get to the shit that we came here to talk about. And I get very impatient and frustrated if it's any other way. So I appreciate that about your show, but that's why it's hard for me personally to like fully adopt Clubhouse. Well, you just need to find the right shows and support them. But yeah, we were joking the other day. Uh, somebody said, I can't believe you flushed so-and-so. And I said, I would flush Snoop. You know, I mean, we've got 60 minutes and we've got a lot of news to get through. So, you know, that I, I don't believe in wasting people's time. We're not going to be around. And I truly believe in Clubhouse. I believe it's the future, especially on the news piece. You know, Paul Davidson said early on, that's what he wants to see on Clubhouse. It's like talk radio meets LinkedIn meets news. I think Clubhouse is the future of the news. I used to be a cable news junkie. I have not watched the news since I found Clubhouse. And I think it's going to be around for decades. And that's why I jumped in all in, you know, because the thing about Clubhouse is that I love and I think everyone else loves is that you can multitask. You can be driving. The first two weeks that I was on Clubhouse, I painted my entire house while I was working. You know, while I was on Clubhouse, I was listening and learning. You can be in your garden. You can, uh, you know, it's the multitasking, I think, that is so interesting. And also getting the, the personal stuff from people and also the access to people that you would never get access to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm curious to see what happens. I saw their new user numbers were skyrocketing and just plummeted in like the last month. So I'm curious to see they're getting into like the real territory of users here. And it's kind of that inflection point where they got to kind of put up or shut up and see if they're really going to be disruptor. Before we go, I just want to know any tips you have for people that either want to be a clubhouse influencer or big on clubhouse or people that want to be moderators both in Clubhouse or out of it, any tips for, for people? Uh, the first tip uh, for Clubhouse is your username. The rules are different on Clubhouse. Like they don't really care if you're a celebrity or not. It's not about how many followers you have. It's about the content that you provide. And the first three lines are what's important. Your, your profile picture, you want to be consistent with your profile picture so that whenever you jump into a room, because that's the only visual thing that you have. So you want to have a consistent profile picture. Then you've got your real name and then you've got your username. You've got your at whatever. You don't want to use necessarily your at your handle that you have on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. My at is cannabis event. I was in there early enough that I got to grab cannabis event. So if anyone goes on Clubhouse and searches cannabis event, I'm the first person that you see. And, and that helped me get found. Also, your first two lines of your bio, that is the thing that people see. Don't use those fancy fonts because those fancy fonts aren't seen. And you might as well have nothing. 
I made that mistake at first. Um, so, uh, you know, just be, be really deliberate, but, and also put a lot of things in your, your bio, put all of your stuff because all of that stuff is searchable. Emojis are searchable. Like put the mushroom, if you want to have psychedelic people, uh, follow you, put the mushroom in there, you know, emojis are searchable. So those would be my tips. But if you want to be a moderator, in clubhouse just make sure that you value everyone's time and leave them hungry you know we every every room that i do it's like okay we gotta go even even though we have the peak number of people in the room yeah okay we gotta go we'll see you tomorrow you know uh but as far as being a moderator for live events or anything else zoom meetings i think the number one thing is to do your research know your speakers you know, just do your homework, know your content, know your, know your speakers. And then you can be, you can be yourself. And I've been to so many, I won't mention any names, biting my tongue. (laughs) I've been to so many events where the speakers come and they're getting up to the table, sitting down, getting in front of their mics. And that's the first time they ever even met the other panelists. They don't, they never even had a single conversation beforehand. Practice, know your speakers and know your subject matter, and you're going to do really well. I love it. You guys heard it here. You definitely haven't been to one of our events on the East Coast, but they're coming soon. So shout out to our audience that's been riding with us for the whole year. We take a lot of pride in our events. They're informative, but we also kind of set the vibe, right? We got our DJO out there. So stay on the lookout, everybody in YouTube and in Zoom. We will be posting some information about our first in-person event in over a year in New York. But before we wrap here, Peter, can you share what we have coming up next week? Next week is the end of the month. We're wrapping our features of Marijuana Mamas. We had the lovely guest of Amani at the Hippie Mom, who will talk to us about her journey in cannabis and as an influencer on Instagram and as a mother of a child with autism. And then we have Chanelle Pena, will be talking to us who is a, a chef and be talking to us about herbs and food um, and motherhood of a young child and how she talks about cannabis um, with her child. Um, and so it's going to be a really great conversation, different herbal remedies for things like autism, behavior management, how diet affects our behavior. I'm really excited for it. It's also, I believe they're both Dominican. So we got some Palatino power for the one time on level, but please join us next week. If you have any questions or anything you want to see, uh, let us know. Thank you, Peter. Once again, shout out to all the marijuana mamas. I literally cannot imagine what it's like. And we really appreciate you all. We really appreciate everybody in the audience, like I said, in Zoom and on YouTube and those that are going to watch us on YouTube later. And of course, Susan, we really, really appreciate your time. You, I think, are doing tons of Zooms and clubhouses all the time. And we know that your time is precious. So we're very grateful and thank you for spending the last hour with us. Thank you for having me and please invite me to your event. I'd love to come. Oh, coming your way. Yay. I love cannabis. <laughs>